Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to another edition of the Football GM Podcast. I'm Mike Sando, Senior Writer Athletic at Sando NFL, joined by NFL Exec of the Year, Randy Mueller, at Randy Mueller underscore. Randy, how are you? Doing great, Mike. Uh, looking forward to hashing out what we saw this weekend, kind of comings and goings have started in the NFL, that's for sure. Absolutely. We got a we got a packed slate today. We're going to move quickly. Uh, we've got John Robinson, the Titans GM, talking about their COVID situation. We've got the firings in Atlanta, head coach GM, Dak Prescott, Jimmy Garoppolo, Philip Rivers are three really hot-button kind of quarterback situations right now that we want to go through. Michael Thomas, one of the best players, maybe the best player on the Saints, suspended. We have some picks against the spread. Ask the GM this week touches on Sam Darnold, his situation, the Jets. We will get into that. Glad you are here. Randy, as GM, when you get named to be the GM, I can imagine you're so excited, and this is going to hit on the Titans here. You're so excited to pick a roster. You have a vision of how you would build a team. You can't wait for the draft. You want to be on the road scouting. And then none of that is really what you do on your job. Yeah, you're right about that. Is that that pretty much true? (laughs) That is definitely true. I I used to tell uh, my assistant, carve me out some time where I can actually watch film. That, That kind of was my way of saying, let's tune all this other stuff out. But unfortunately, Cummings with the job uh, mean you have to manage a lot of different areas. And you you don't have the time to, like you said, uh, pick your roster and sit in a room uh, and, and make those kind of decisions that everybody thinks GMs do. That is part of your job. But you've got a ton of other stuff to worry about. And most of all, like you say, is managing all these ups and downs that, that happen every day in the NFL. And John Robinson, GM of the Titans, would love to talk about their reasoning for signing Ryan Tannehill to the extension, the pluses and minuses of whether their first-round receiver's option should be picked up. That's the easy stuff in comparison to now. And he's dealing with the COVID outbreak that, look, I mean, read between the lines on what he said. On wearing masks, I would say we've been fairly compliant. (laughs) (laughs) To say 100% would be a false. I don't think fairly compliant is really the standard we're looking for here. Oh, I think Um, he kind of indicted himself there by kind of letting it slip that maybe we didn't uh, comply 100%. Yeah. Yeah, which means they've got video, obviously, of them. But, you know, I wrote a column last week just talking to people in the league, you know, from front offices and such about what the punishments could be. And you, you sort of, you think, man, there's there's billions of dollars on the line. This is the most serious thing the league's got going right now. This is a threat to the game. I mean, there's been sort of existential threats to the game, you know, with the health of the players or concussions or things. But this is where, like, games could go away in a week or two based on how this is handled. So, you know, we've I've talked to people about, okay, do you, is it millions of dollars of fines? Do you lose a first-round draft pick? Are they suspending the GM? All of these things. Why hasn't that happened? Why isn't that happening? Should it be happening? Yeah, I think you're on to it. And I do think some of these things will be happening. I just know this from my experience about being around the NFL and in dealing with the league office, especially, they're going to have their ducks lined up and, and they're not going to fine or dole out punishment for level one or level two until they know what the punishment's going to be for level three and level four. So they've kind of on, off, on the fly figured these things out. I don't think they're there yet. And that's why we haven't heard it. I don't think their investigation is complete yet for one thing. There's a lot of different tentacles that this has, uh, that, that also covers other teams. So it's a, it's a, 
adjudication process is just going to take time. It's a, it's going to be a federal indictment per se, but they've got to get yeah. their ducks lined up first. And I know Roger Goodell will not ask the questions until he already knows the answers. And I don't think all the answers have been found out yet. Right. So if they put down huge punishment on the Titans right now, then the same thing happens three more times this year. Then you've got four teams with no first round yeah. draft picks or yeah. whatever, and no they, maybe they got to figure it out. So I think that's a good point. Uh, moving along, speaking of another GM, Tom Dimitrov of the Thomas Dimitrov, sorry, of the Falcons was fired. Uh, Dan Quinn was fired. I'm not shocked. Obviously, um, I'm sure you're not shocked either. The the record right. just hasn't been there good enough. But I think, you know, I wrote this morning in my pick six column a little bit about the situation in Detroit. And I think in Detroit, you can see that Matt Patricia, who's a defensive coach, has brought in a bunch of guys from New England. He's basically got the guys that I think Matt Patricia would bring in. Trey Flowers, right? It's, it's easy to sort of pass the blame. It's easy to see where it's coming from. When I look at Atlanta... Head coach responsible for the record, no doubt. But it's a bad roster, too. It's a team effort to lose. You know, what's your feeling on this, on these moves, and sort of the who's to blame, you know, the blame game a little bit, I guess? Well, I think the reason people aren't surprised at this one, and it's it's not because these guys deserve it. I mean, I know Tom Dimitrov, and I've known him for years. Dan Quinn was my neighbor when we were both with the Dolphins. So I know these guys. I also know they're good at their jobs and have been trained to do it. Sometimes the train gets out of the station, and you just can't reel it back in. And obviously, this goes back to them blowing the lead in the Super Bowl, and they blew the leads this year two or three times. But you're right. I think their plan for what they wanted to do kind of got away from them a couple years ago, and they really haven't added players or added to that roster with any purpose or identity. That's my opinion anyway. They've kind of stepped out to fill needs. Sometimes when you make to the Super Bowl, you think you're one or two players away from returning. And I think they got caught in that vacuum a little bit in that we just need this one guy. We need a right tackler. We just need this one, you know, defensive end. But really, you've got to keep managing your roster. And sometimes the the those little changes that you think you've already solved they're the ones that come back and bite you later, and you just don't have enough fingers to fill the dike. So I, I think I might have mentioned this in another podcast we did earlier. When I got to the Chargers, they were just coming off of a 12-4 and four year, I believe, and they thought they were one player away as well. They thought they'd win every game. But you know what? Everything changes. Years don't carry over from year to year. And in Atlanta's case, it's been a steady decline since then of, of just bringing in the wrong kind of players. And, and I think, unfortunately for Dan, he got the job because he was a defensive guru. And now the defense has been their biggest stumbling block in keeping these leads. So his expertise has been questioned because of that. I know that he doesn't have, um, the people in place that he was hoping to have. So there is plenty of blame to go around. I don't think we can put our finger on it. I think the reason it's not a bigger story is that this almost happened at the end of last season. Yep. So this is kind of a carryover from 2019. I know. Yeah, people wanted to bring the Seattle defense to to Atlanta, but not the 2020 version of the Seattle defense. You know, and that that Seattle defense, hey, Quinn played a nice role in it, but they had Hall of Fame players. So that's a huge thing, and that's the hard thing to get. And it's hard to draft them, and it's hard to make that transfer over. So um, the big news, I think, obviously, coming out of of, uh, week five was Dak Prescott with that terrible – ankle injury. Um, and of course there's talk about his contract. What's going to happen next. Did he blow it? Not taking a long-term deal, all of that. Um, I think he's going to come out. Okay. I mean, unless he's got a bad injury for let's attack this from him, from the team, from Andy Dalton. What are your sort of feeling on, you know, what's the significance here? 
Well, it obviously was, a, was a awesome, an awful injury. I mean, nobody wants to see that. It brought back the Joe Theismann memories for me when he got, you know, busted up by Lawrence Taylor. And that was 1985. And we still see that video every now and then. It was sad. So obviously prayers go out to Dak and his family. Um, I've seen a lot of takes on exactly the next steps and, and how it relates to his contracts written and people talked about just the last 24 hours. But frankly, I don't see a lot changing. I mean, I, I know he's going to get his full salary this year with franchise tag money. He'll still be a free agent in February. The Cowboys still get to decide what their course of action is at that point, whether they tag him again or not. You know, he was going to be hard to tag anyway on a, on a normal cap. And now at 175 million, which people think the cap's going. And if he gets tagged again, it's going to be 37 million. So it's a big chunk of that. You know, I don't see that changing other than the fact that. They're not going to get Dak to sign a, a new contract on a discount. I don't see that happening at all. So my feelings are, in, really in a nutshell, nothing has changed. The onus still is on them to pay him a premium uh, if that's what yeah. they want. He could make them say, okay, you really want to go forward with Andy Dalton? Be my guest because yeah. I'm going to have three teams coming after me and I'll still get 40 or whatever if I'm healthy. So No doubt. Uh, and, and I experienced that firsthand, Mike, and that's why I think I feel stronger than ever that Dak's still going to get his money. When I was a GM of the Dolphins, and most of the people know this story, but uh, Drew Brees had two teams willing to pay him $10 million, and this was coming off a fully dislocated throwing shoulder uh, where yeah. it came all the way to the bottom of the joint. He suffered a 360-degree tear of his labrum and a 50% tear of a rotator cuff on his throwing shoulder. And yeah. guess what? There were two teams still wanting to pay him. At that point, $10 million a year was a lot of money, and we were one of them in Miami. I guess it comes down to what doctors feel. And in Dak's case, it's going to be the same thing. But one doctor may fail him on a physical. Another doctor may say, this guy's the savior of our franchise. So somebody's going to pay it, you know? That's what screwed you in Miami is the team yeah. docs there wouldn't pass him on the physical. It reminds me, I was talking to Ron Wolf once, the Hall of Fame GM for the Packers. And, you know, he, he, the big move he made was to, to trade for Brett Favre. And he said, I'm all excited. I, I got Brett Favre. And the dang doctors in Green Bay failed him on the physical. So here's Ron sitting in his office going, oh, damn, I, I, I may, this may be it for me, uh, you know. But, but fortunately for him, he was able to fire the doctors. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, we couldn't do that. Yeah. In Miami, yeah. we couldn't do that. And, I, and as I told you, Tom Condon and I go way back, and we kind of had the structure of a deal on a napkin, and it was in my pocket of the Drew Brees deal. <laughs> yeah. And so then the doctor comes back and says, not only do we, are we not sure he's going to ever play again, but it's 50% chance that he can even throw like he did before at all. Oh, so, yeah. You know, it's like the doctors will always be yeah. cautious, right? And the doctors, in this them. case, were friends of our owners. So we couldn't fire the doctors. So I love Ron Wolf's theory, but we couldn't fire anybody. We just had to live with what they said. So we were stuck without a quarterback. He goes on to New Orleans, and obviously yep. it changed the plight of two two franchises for the next 20 years. Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, well, not, it's great now that we have some distance in, in it. Um, let's go move on to San Francisco because we're talking about another quarterback situation. Some would say Kyle Shanahan gave up Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl last year. You know, remember before halftime, they didn't play two minute. Second half, how they approached the game. And, you know, I think we sometimes underestimate how big these losses are in the big game. You know, you think about Seattle. Uh, when they made the, the fateful decision that didn't get it, their whole locker room stewed for years and they barely got out of it now, right? And that's, that's different than what happened to San Francisco. But um, that was a turning point a little bit to me. I mean, I think we knew that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't maybe the first choice for Shanahan anyway. How do you interpret 
them being down 30 to seven at home to Miami. Um, and then Shanahan sort of pulling the plug at halftime. Yeah. Can you play I that even, off? I even go back further than you, Mike. I, I see it the same way, but I go back to the Monday night game against the Seattle a year ago. And it was at San Francisco, and they put on the bums rush on Jimmy Garoppolo all night long. And I thought it changed the way Kyle had to manage the game. And I really thought from that point on, he knew that he had to kind of treat Jimmy with kid gloves and only call certain things. He had to protect his quarterback. And to Kyle's credit, I think he's a great coach and a really good play caller. He did that for Jimmy. He managed him. But I think you're right. I think... Maybe it was the Super Bowl, but I think he had the hint going in that this wasn't going to be the guy in the long run. So he's protected him. I thought to his credit, even yesterday, he protected him. Jimmy throws two picks in the first half, clearly wasn't seeing things correctly, whether it was the ankle. And that's what Kyle chose to to kind of blame it on. His ankle wasn't right. But I saw a guy that was very hesitant, a guy that needs a clean pocket to operate. Some of the same questions I had about him a year ago kind of reared its head uh, yesterday in the first half. So I'm not surprised he made the move to change it. I'm not sure that they have the quarterback of the future on their team right now. So that's the next step in next hurdle they're going to have to overcome is if it's not Jimmy Grappolo, they're going to have to go find one again next offseason. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because Kirk Cousins is the guy he likes. And Kirk Cousins is playing for Minnesota right now and is not uh, a top-tier quarterback in anyone's book. But you run that offense Kyle Shanahan runs, he doesn't think he needs one probably, right? I mean, so if you were Minnesota this year, and let's just say, I mean, it's just not going their way. I think they'll be better as the, as the year goes on. But what happens if Minnesota – um, you know, goes four and 12 and they decide, you know what, shoot, you know, Hey, I got a long-term deal head coach. The GM's got a long-term deal. Kirk's just not getting it done. You know, um, could you see a scenario? Would you encourage a scenario trading Kirk Cousins to San Francisco? That's the guy that, uh, you could do it from a cap standpoint. You'd have two years left on his deal. I don't think there's any question that Vikings would have to consider something like that. I think they also got to consider drafting one fairly high and as soon as they can. Um, so both of those scenarios, and I'm not blaming Kirk Cousins for all of the Vikings issues this year, but he's been a polarizing force wherever he's been. He, you know, he polarized the Redskins for Washington football team for several years. And now Minnesota is kind of the same way. If you talk to the fans in Minnesota, there's a, it's a love hate relationship with Kirk Cousins. And, you know, I, I understand why there's nothing. Kurt's a great guy, great leader, great man, so to speak. But the business side of it has made him a target and wouldn't surprise me if they look to move on from him. Um, and I think you're right. Kyle's always had an inkling for him going back to the Washington days. So that could be a way to solve a couple different issues for two different teams. I love how we're talking about this week five and we're already I know, you know, taking crazy. guys off the roster. But, but it's, <laughs> but it's you know, th- these are the fun conversations and thought processes that I like to go through. And so you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, they could get him off the books easy. There's no big cap acceleration, none of that. It would be a, it'd be a new shift. And, and I think we know that, that Kyle Shannon already said that's the guy he would have gone after had they not been able to get Garoppolo. It doesn't mean he doesn't like Garoppolo, but I think he doesn't love him. That's the perception. And, and there's some evidence to back that up. So do they um, send Jimmy back to New England then? for a discount so he's got he's back with the Patriots so let's take it one step further <laughs> yeah yeah well we'll see how Cam Newton does this year we could have the whole league screwed up by the end we of this conversation so 
soap opera going just with quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you love it, Randy? When you're in the league, you hated it when people oh, stirred yeah. it up like this, and here we are. <laughs> We're having yeah. fun, though. These are good. These are good thought processes. Good, I, I love. Hey, believe it or not, Mike, we have these kind of conversations in the NfL too. Yeah. When yeah. we're sitting around having lunch, we can be a fan. But I always welcomed it because you're going to hear something that you haven't thought of. And it may be yeah. from a coworker or from somebody down the hall, but discussion then brings on more thought. And, and I love it. I want to think about as many different angles to certain situations as I can. Yep, absolutely. Well, there's a couple angles here. Philip Rivers for the Colts, and you know they were asked today. I think it might have been Frank Reich. You know, are you thinking of changing your quarterback? They're not, and I, and I believe him. I don't think they're going to do it right now. Um, they brought him in for the course of the long haul, and you know there's ups and downs with Rivers. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, you know that. <laughs> you, you're in gray. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've got the, probably a list of them uh, of them, but you know they brought him in um, to be the difference in the game sometimes. And he was the difference in the game against Cleveland yesterday. They lost by nine points, and he threw a pick six, and and he took a safety on a grounding in the end zone. So you lose by nine, and it's nine points right there on the quarterback who's supposed to be the veteran and come in. And you got a good offensive line. We're going to run it a little bit. We got a good defense. So they're they're one of the best defenses in the league by almost any measure. To me, that can't happen. You can't have him blowing the game. And so here we are talking about him blowing the game. Um, what's going on? You know him, yeah. When you break it down, to me, it came down to a simple one characteristic. I always said for all my time with the Chargers that Philip was the best that I'd ever been around at. Once he decides to go with the ball, where to go with the ball, it's gone. And it's quicker than anybody I'd ever been around. You know, he's kind of got that funky sidearm delivery, but it did allow him to get rid of the ball quickly. But as, as soon as his mind decided and that the amount of time that that took between the ball coming off his fingers, it was incredible. I don't see that same guy in this system, whether it's a different scheme, different teammates. He's just not as confident. So once he makes up his mind now, there's still some hesitation. And I think it's, it's, uh, you know, coming to fruition in a lack of accuracy at times as well. So he's not as confident. Um, the lack of commitment that once he decides isn't there. And that's the Philip Rivers I know. So maybe it's a little more time. Maybe he needs some more time still to get comfortable with it. The problem I see is if he doesn't get it out as quickly as he used to, his arm has always been, I won't say average, but it's never been elite. And therefore he always made up for that, uh, average arm strength with uh, a commitment and a quickness in getting rid of the ball. That's not happening either. So I think we got to wait and see a little bit. I, I'm with Frank Reich. He doesn't need to definitely pull the trigger to make a change right now, but that's the one characteristic I would, I would caution and, and uh, invite fans actually to watch the next few weeks is if he's getting it out quickly, that means he's confident and making better decisions. And he's just got to do that more consistently. Yeah, and I, I think one thing we maybe underestimate with some of these guys, at least publicly, is you know when he's in with the Chargers, he's got Keenan Allen for years, he had Antonio Gates for years. You develop a trust that really serves you well um, in those tough situations and games. And uh, different quarterbacks handle that di differently. You know, I can remember when I was covering um, the, the Seahawks years ago. You know, Matt Hasselbeck when when he lost a, a Bobby Ingram or something. It affects them for a while. Like, like they're, they're a little finicky, these guys, you know? And so I'm sure Rivers has his guys that he likes. And when it doesn't work the exact way, he's got thoughts about it, right? And yeah. And, and I think he has to hit, to expand on it just for a second. The kid that they drafted from USC, Pittman has been out the last couple of weeks. He's been hurt. And I said about a month ago that this guy is his Antonio Gates. 
That's the guy he would go to. He's a bigger receiver. He's almost like a tight end size. And Rivers had found him the first few weeks, and he was his go-to guy. That guy's been missing. So there is some merit to exactly what you're saying. That comfort level, that security blanket just hasn't been there for him recently. And I think Pittman's going to come back next week. So I think that'll be a big uh, a big boost to Phillips' confidence in that he finds him. He has a knack for finding him. And whether it was Keenan Allen or, or like you say, uh, Gates, uh, it, it's somebody like that that a quarterback can rely on to throw to even when he's covered. And Pittman's big enough where he catches when he's covered. And that'll be an element that they have missed for sure. What I'm watching is the negative plays for him. This will be the last point on Rivers, but I, I do a lot of kind of work with stats to just, just look at things year year over year. And so for for Philip Rivers, if you just take the really positive or the really negative plays and you subtract the negative from the positive, when he's really going, he'll over the course of a year, he'll have eight, nine, maybe 10 to 12 more really big positive plays than negatives. And to this point in the season, he's plus one. Last year, he was minus two. So we need to see some of those shift. You know, he's got, I think, five interceptions and they're, they're pick six. You know, they're killer ones. And, and so uh, he's got to have continue to grow the difference between the good and the bad. And, and maybe they'll be just fine. Another situation that I think gives us an entree into, into just how things work on a team is, is the Saints suspending Michael Thomas. You know, arguably the best player on their team, um, from a game. And, and we know that, not everybody is treated the same on a team, right? I mean, if if the 53rd guy on the roster does something bad, he might be cut. If the quarterback does something bad, he, no one may even say anything, right? So for Michael Thomas, who's one of the best players on the team to be suspended, I got your mind races a little bit. Let's just calm this down. What is this a big deal to you or would you be concerned, I mean, to have? Well, I definitely think it's a big deal because you're without one of your key players and and he was said to be almost ready to play if not he was 80% there but let's face it not like you mentioned not everybody gets treated the same but i do know this that anytime i would have a disciplinary thought i would always get the pulse of our locker room i think that that locker room feel how they feel and how they view certain players gives determines how much rope you give them and I'm sure that was the case here. I'm sure Sean, uh, the head coach, went downstairs, talked to some people. He probably met with Michael several times, consulted Mickey Loomis, the GM, as well. I just think the pulse of the team is has been consulted before they did this. So there must have been something or or, or a bigger reason than, than just at first glance for them to sit this guy down. That's for sure. Yeah, and he's coming off an injury. Maybe they feel like, hey, you could use a week off anyway. Yeah. I remember last, you know, last week Devontae Adams missed the Monday night game and he was really ticked off about it. And briefly a tweet came up where he was like, I guess I, I guess there's other people in our building who know my body better than me. Right. And I, I actually admire the guy. I mean, he wants to play. He's not, he's not tanking it, but these are things we're, that you're dealing with too. The players want to play or maybe they want to have him on a, a pitch count. Um, and so it can be convenient sometimes to set a guy down too. But when you look at some of these situations around the league, you know, you would think Michael Michael Thomas supposedly punches C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Well, C.J. Gardner-Johnson is not a prominent player on the team. But if that locker room felt like Michael Thomas was out of, out of line this team, maybe it's important to, to act accordingly. We've seen, you know, Earl Thomas punched out Chuck Clark of the, of the Ravens. Well, they sided with Chuck Clark, you know, uh, in that situation. There's been a number of these situations. Steve Smith had a bunch of them with Carolina. He kept playing. He was very good. Uh, Geno Smith got punched out by a linebacker. That guy was gone. Percy Harvin punched out Golden Tate in Seattle. Percy Harvin was gone. Um, you know, so, uh, these are things that happen, um, 
behind yeah. the scenes on theme. And this was a little bit of a public stance for me, if it was the reason, like we talked about, where we're just protecting Michael Thomas against himself, playing at less than 100%. This did this. You'd like to be able to do that without having to make a public statement like this. So I'm sure there was something to this. Yeah, these things come up. The management of your locker room sometimes can change the whole tenor of your season. And, and these little things, they start out little, but they become bigger. Let's just hope for New yeah. Orleans' sake, this doesn't become a bigger issue. What's the, So on the fight front, what's the wildest thing you've seen just in your years <laughs> of being with the team? I've seen some fights now where, and I'm going to keep names out of it for obvious reasons, but fights that carry over from the field to the locker room to the parking lot. And uh, there was a gun involved. There was some, I've been witness to some crazy antics. Really? Uh, yes, where where I wouldn't, you know, and, and some of these guys, I love the guys that were involved. It it kind of set me back. I, I would say, no, you didn't just do that. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they change. It's crazy. And you start getting personal, like the Jalen Ramsey, uh, uh, I'll call him Top Pots, the, the receiver, last week after the game. It was personal, yeah. right? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Golden Tate. Yeah. That was a yeah. personal issue. And it, it carried over to the locker room and then out to the parking lot. There were reports of that thing that didn't die on the field. That's for sure. So these things Absolutely. are, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes managing, uh, uh irrational people when, when it gets personal. And oh, yeah. Hope it doesn't get personal. When things get personal, we can all get irrational. You know, yes. you see yes. people do crazy things. You're like, I know that guy. He wouldn't do that. Well, yeah, he would. You say yeah. something about his wife, you might, he yeah. might do he it. He just went you know? out with a gun out of his car. You know, crazy <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. It escalates. If you've ever been in a pickup basketball game, you can yeah. see all of a sudden uh, somebody gets taken out into the pole and right. things are not right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, you you know. I don't know if we got time, but I always like to tell the Kenny Easley story. I think, a, <laughs> I think it's a great story, and I'll just set it up a little bit. Kenny Easley was the baddest man, um, one of the in the Seahawk locker room, and one of the great defensive players of the early '80s, along with Lawrence Taylor, Ronnie Lott, guys who could really change the game defensively. It was really a, a time when that started to happen. That the, some of the great stars were really on that side of the ball, the best athletes, and. Ken Easley was one of a kind. At training camp, he would play nine holes of golf before the first two a day, get in another nine between practices, come back uh, for the second one. I remember talking to Terry Donahue uh, at UCLA, one of the coaches down there. He thought Kenny could have played like tennis at UCLA. He could have been the sixth man on the basketball team. I mean, just, just an amazing athlete and a really tough, badass type of guy. So Joe Vitt was the sort of... Uh, you know, hard charging. He was strength coach at the time and graduated up to other roles, but strength coach at the time. And you could just imagine that when he was trying to tell somebody like Kenny Easley what to do, didn't always go over so well. And easily, unlike maybe some other guys, you know, willing to, to act on that. I mean, me. Kenny, I'm going to name he, it. It involved Joe Vitt. He was, yeah. he's, he's with the Jets now. Joe's a, Joe's a great character, one of the all-time yeah. greatest. So I outed him, Randy. This is not on you. Yeah. This has been told before, but it's a great well, story. It is, and it has, and I still laugh every time when I hear it. And and Joe got into it with Kenny in the locker room over running a 40-yard dash. And if anybody knows Kenny easily, he's not going to run any 40-yard dashes, and he's not going to win them. But he is a great player, one of the better defensive players in the history of the Seahawks franchise. And they got into it. And push came to shove outside the locker room on the feet on the cement. 
floor, uh, Joe ended up uh, in a prone position. And and it, it came from... He got from, his job uh, broke. I mean... Yeah, he got his job broke. And the, the thing I remember most about the scrap was afterwards, and this is a half hour later, and I believe it was Mike Tice, had outlined where Joe's body was on the cement outside the, the locker room with door. With chalk. So every, yeah, with chalk. So every time someone would come in and out of the <laughs> locker room, you'd see there lies Joe Vitt. You know, everybody, nobody had to say a word, but his whole body was outlined in chalk. So it, it made it into a, a, a comedy per se, but it wasn't funny when it was happening. That's for sure. And, and I mean, Chuck Knox is the coach. Did, did they suspend easily? I can't even remember. I don't, oh, I don't think no. so. Let's don't get crazy now. No, that's not going to happen. This was in the off season <laughs> anyway, but let's just say it was in the regular season. Yeah. Kenny Easy was playing. So we need Oh, him yeah, and yeah, and yeah. he knew it. So he was one of those guys that had a lot of rope. Oh, <laughs> and if it, if it meant losing an assistant for a couple of weeks, so be it. Yeah. Hey, he probably played about 36 holes of golf that day, knowing yeah. Kenny, uh, before yeah. that happened. <laughs> I ain't running, you know. No uh, doubt. Yeah. All righty. Last couple segments here are picks. Uh, you know, and this is tough a little bit earlier in the week to make picks against the spread. That's our excuse anytime we miss one. <laughs> so uh, we both missed last week, I believe, taking Tampa Bay against Chicago. And then... Um, I lucked out. We, we, I took Cleveland in the points against Indy, and I felt bad about it afterwards. I thought, you know what? That big D line, they're going to limit Baker Mayfield. I felt like retracting it, and this is just the nature of this. They ended up winning the game in a little bit of a surprise, uh, winning it outright, covering you know by 12 points. So we got a couple games this week that it's early in the week. Maybe we want to learn more. But, Randy, what do you think Green Bay at Tampa Bay? Great matchup of quarterbacks. I mean, these are two Hall of Famers. Yeah, an old school uh, NFC Central matchup that uh, should be fun to watch. I, I'm 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 all for Tampa. I think they've come a long way since that opener against the Saints. I do think they've sorted some things out on offense, even though they've been plagued with some injuries to the, some of Tom Brady's weapons. I like where they come where they've come to. But here's here is uh, in my opinion, uh, maybe Russell Wilson figures in, but uh, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP for the first five weeks, in my opinion, and I think that offense is going to be hard to stop. I think this is going to be a score fest. I think it's going to be a uh, you know fast breaking uh, old time Lakers Celtics matchup. It's going to be hard to defend, and I would definitely take the over. I just think it's going to be one of those things. Uh, Green Bay is on a roll right now offensively, and and I don't. I have no problem giving the two points and taking the Packers. Is that what you see too? I saw one and a half. One and a half too, I would give it also. I sort of feel a little bit like when Green Bay went down to uh, New Orleans. And I felt like, you know, one of the things I got to in my pick six column today is road quarterbacks are killing it on third and long. You know, third and seven to 10, it's nine yards in a tent, big plays all over the place. We saw Justin Herbert hit big plays against the Tampa defense on third down on the road. That didn't used to happen, but when you don't have crowd. And I, I just feel like there's a difference between Rodgers and almost anybody, you know, physically between him and Brady, him and Breeze, it's a difference. And so I'm going to go with you on that one. They're going to lose the game at some point. Maybe this is it. But I just I don't want to be guessing on that. I just feel like Green Bay is a better team. Let's let's look at Cleveland again in our other game. I think we've got Pittsburgh favored at home by do you have three and a half against Cleveland yeah, at this I point? I saw three points. Yep. Cleveland. At yeah. Pittsburgh. Yeah. And, and I am going to roll with Pittsburgh and give the points on this one because I feel like um, that defense with Baker Mayfield having ribs, that's not the defense I want to play when Baker Mayfield has rib injury and people know about it. He was struggling in the second half of that game against another good defense in Indy. I think this game maybe picks up a little bit where that one left off. It's more of a slog for Cleveland. What do you think? Yeah, I think you know we're not doing much for our uh... – banter in our picks section, but I'm with you. I, I think the matchup itself, Pittsburgh in the 3-4 front and, and Baker, 
who might be less than 100%. And, and we haven't seen Baker uh, perform under the gun yet, uh, you know, against a defense like Pittsburgh has. I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to give the points. I'm going to take the Steelers. And, and I think Big Ben uh, comes through. I'll tell you what's exciting to watch Big Ben thrown to these young receivers. You realize that the Steelers, the last four years, have drafted wide, wide outs in the second round. All four of them have been really good players. This Claypool kid that went off the other day, I mean, that's crazy. He, he's, just like Green Bay, right? They've yeah. done the same thing. No, I'm I just mean, kidding. seven for 110 and three TDs, and he ran for another one. You know, Juju was a second round pick. Claiborne, a second round pick. James Washington was a second round pick. Deontay Johnson, the second round pick. I mean, I line up behind, uh, uh, Kevin and his staff in drafting receivers in the second round. What a nice job they've done. I'm beginning to think Kevin Colbert knows what he's doing. You know, that you maybe that, maybe yeah. he's got an idea of how to do this. You know, <laughs> not a flashy guy at all. No. Um, he's not going to win any fashion awards. You know, yeah. uh, I'm not, you know, he's not walking around in designer jeans and, and wearing fancy cologne. He's just picking good football players for the Pittsburgh Steelers for like Ever, you know? How about that idea? That's a great yeah. one. And they do a great job of really honing in on the characteristics of the kind of players they want to fit their scheme. And it's evidence. These four receivers, yep. and I didn't realize it until I did a little research on it, four years in a row in the second round, and they've all become good players for them. It's time for Ask the GM. We got our last segment here, Ask the GM. We got Brian Foss asking, hey, there was some chatter last week about Sam Darnold's trade value. I think ESPN might have done something on that. What teams should be making that phone call to the Jets for Sam Darnold? That's that's our question from Brian for the GM. Take it away, GM. Yeah, I, I when I heard this question come up, I kind of take uh, Sam Darnold's version. Maybe <laughs> Sam should trade the coach, the GM, the owner. You know, I just thought that was crazy to even think about trading Sam Darnold. So I had to think through it a little bit. I think they would get takers for Sam Darnold. There's no question. When you go back and study what has happened around him, and I'm not making excuses for the kid, but I think you said it best. I'll let you say what what yeah. do you, what's your what's your uh, take well, on the Jets. If if when they if on draft day they had hatched a plan to ruin Sam Darnold, if that's what they were trying to do, if that's what they wanted to do right now, what would they change? And I, and I think <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't change anything because they no. haven't they haven't got now they got a great left tackle for him. That's a yeah. really nice. He'll be a good pick. player. Yep. I mean, he that, already that, is a good player. Yep. You know, pe- people question Joe Douglas about getting those picks from Seattle and will you be able to get elite players? Well, I'm going to say that he got an elite player, so we will we'll give him credit on that. But they don't have any weapons. I did the study before the year. They had uh, they're the only team that hasn't had a player on offense for the last about four years who's gone to the Pro Bowl. Right. You know that's unbelievable. I mean, you'd think you'd you'd luck into somebody. So they have, to- and I'm not I'm not excusing Darnold either. I mean, there's certainly you'd want to see more. Sometimes he holds the ball too much, but I would sure like to see more around him. Uh, you know, certainly a better plan for him um, to to realize his potential. What could you get for him? I don't know. I, I would think that his value is diminished at this point. Oh what, no question. If you yeah, were on another team, what would you give up? Oh, I think you'd be lucky to get a third-round pick right now. And this is a guy that was picked in the top 10. So, again, I've just seen no development in Sam, but I don't I don't really think it's his fault. I just think he's he's a victim of the circumstances and of his surroundings. So I would hang with Sam. I think he, he's going to be a good player. But here's the crazy thing about it. They'll probably change coaches again at the end of the year, the way well, this bus is rolling. So. Well, well, but let's just say this, though. Let's say you have the number one pick in the draft. I'm taking Trevor Lawrence all day and moving on from Sam, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, probably so, probably so. And again, they're in the market for it. They're going, they're zero five, right? So it, yeah, Trevor That's Lawrence might, might as well buy a penthouse in New York because one of those teams is going to end up with it. 
They're would both you think get, five. Yeah, would you get rid of Darnold then, or what's your theory on how many quarterbacks? Oh, this is a little extending SGM. Yeah. yeah, I think you'd have. I think you'd have to. Same with the Giants. What if the Giants had the first pick in the draft? Yeah, you, you'd have to pick him, wouldn't you? Yeah, so from I what you've so. seen of Daniel Jones at this point, and again, I, he may be okay at some point, but yeah, uh, if you have I someone who's clearly better, I mean, I think we've seen that happen with, uh, you know, with Arizona, where yeah, they're, they're like with people Rosen. said, oh. You just drafted Rosen last year. How can you do this? Well, here's how, because we think the other guy's better, you know. Yeah. And and I think, um, you know, Seattle, to some degree, uh, you know, when they had paid Matt Flynn, they still yep. are taking shots at it. They weren't sure on him, so you draft a guy. And then when that guy's better, you start him, you know. Yep. Um, you, you never want to be that team that holds on to your guy because of his pedigree. And then suddenly you're like, oh, how do we have Blake Bortles for five years? Look at all these other guys <laughs> we could have picked. You, you can't do that to just have a loyalty to your guys. So. Nor do I think you could trade Sam Darnold without having – somebody else in hand. So I think the fact that yeah. they might trade him, it's going to be later on if they do. And who knows who will be in charge to make that decision. Yeah. You don't want a five-year deal with Flacco right now, is what you're saying? No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you're good. Hey, I think I'm good too. That's a good place here to, to cut it off till next week. Randy, great conversation. Mike Sando here, Senior Writer Athletic, at Sando NFL with Randy Mueller, at Randy Mueller underscore. Randy, I will see you next week. Sounds good, Mike.